0: Yeah. So we were just sitting down to do a podcast and she looks across the table from me and she says, you know, can I ask a question? I'm like, sure. Cause I mean, what could the question be? And she says, you know, do you see yourself as a black woman first or as a Christian first? And I was like, what kind of question is this right before we're about <laughs> to you know, go live? Um, but it was, it was a very tough and, and like heart piercing question because It challenged.
1: Hello, and welcome to the program, Woke Up, where we uh, amplify the voices of those who have left today's critical social justice and woke ideology. And I want you all to get ready to learn something today. Uh, We have a a very intellectual guest, uh, one that uh, has impacted my life personally uh, on a profound level uh, several years ago when uh, the riots of George Floyd engulfed our society and our culture, uh, we were all taken aback at everybody in the West. And, and uh, at that, point, I was uh, confused. I was concerned. I didn't understand the messaging. I was looking for personally, like what is going on here and uh, what is happening? Uh, I do have a faith base in my own life. I I am a Christian. I have a Christian worldview and my culturization in the Christian community wasn't measuring up with so many things that I was seeing and, and feeling because of the messaging was so good in terms of helping the marginalized and disenfranchised and, you know, doing away with uh, things that hold people back. And, uh, but there are certain things I wasn't ready for. I wasn't understanding. And I, I learned all kinds of new terms. There was like a new language being introduced and, uh, everything I was learning was from basically universities and critical theories and race theories and different ideologies. And I thought, well, some of that sounds good. Some of that sounds crazy. I didn't know what was happening in the messaging. And so I stumbled across, and I think it was really ironic that the woman who's our guest today, Monique Dusson, who is the founder of uh, the Center for Biblical Unity, had, uh, had just previously started her organization. And uh, she was a critical theorist for years, and uh, she was trying to juggle her faith with the ideologies that she was uh, uh, indoctrinated by. And so, Monique, I want to welcome you to the show, and thank you so much for coming on. It's an honor that you would take the time out of your busy schedule uh, and, 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 and join us and share and inspire and encourage all of us. So, Monique, uh, welcome to Woke Up.
0: Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: So I'm going to turn it over to you, Monique. Monique, uh, tell, uh, tell us uh, the testimony, the story of your life and and what happened in your life.
0: Yeah. So, uh, gosh, I was born and raised in South Central Los Angeles for about the first 15 years of my life. And then I moved to a suburb of the Los Angeles area. And that's where I started going to church um, and seriously going to church. I mean, I went to church when I was a kid with my grandmother, when I was very young, Um probably eight and young, eight years old and younger. And that was an all black church. And um, that's where I learned, you know, like hand clapping and, you know, all of the things that were, you know, as a child, really interesting. Um, And I was able to really just absorb a lot of the the black church culture um, as a young child. And then ended up, uh, my grandmother passed away shortly thereafter. And um, I ended up, moving into like the suburb of Los Angeles and had a friend from school invite me to her youth group and there is where I came into like a true relationship with Jesus and where I started to go to church, like consistently and my relationship with Jesus was my own Um, because we didn't really talk about God or Jesus in my home. That wasn't like a topic of conversation. (laughs) So this was all very new to me and thankfully the Lord put people in my life and surrounded me with mentors and um, friends who had walked the road with the Lord um, for a lot longer longer than I did. Now I should probably back up a little bit and say growing up in South Central Los Angeles, you know, for those first 15, 15 and a half or so years, um, that's where not only did I, you know, go, go to black church, but that's where I learned a lot about, you know, what does it mean to be black, to be a black woman? My teachers were black. Um, my friends were black. My friend's parents were black. And so there was definitely just a conversation of what it meant to be black and, and to be proud to be black. Um, the riots, the 1992, two Rodney King riots happened, you know, on the street that I, off of the street that I lived on. Um, And so I saw that in real time and not only the Rodney King riots, but also an incident with a young girl named Latasha Harlins, who was a 15 year old who had been shot and killed by a Korean store owner. And so the tensions in LA regarding race at the time when I was um, a teenager were very tough. They were very tense. It was between the blacks and the Koreans, blacks and whites. And a lot of what I saw was that blacks definitely wanted to have a voice that um, really communicated their frustration, their anger with how they saw themselves being treated or how we saw ourselves being treated. And I think in conversations with teachers and with my mom, um, that was really just reinforced of like, hey, you know, white people think they can do this and Korean store owners come in and they think they can, you know, do this. And so you have to, you know, fight for your right basically to live or to survive and in in understanding that understanding what it meant to be black, understanding from my teachers, the history of being black in America and understanding from my mom or my friend's parents, what it meant to be a black person in America during that time, it was always a constant struggle that black people were always um, the oppressed, that black people were always under. And that was really a lot of the setup for my belief in critical race theory And how do we identify racism? What is racism? Who can be racist Uh, as, as black people, you know, are we the oppressed in society? Are we consistently the marginalized in society? And going, you know, fast forwarding into my time Outside of LA in the suburbs and going into church, I still had this mindset. And so, as I was reading the Word, I would read it through that understanding. And in conversations with some people um, who had been, you know, in the faith longer than me, it was also just a uh, a way that we read the scriptures. I feel like not even like in in a in a spoken way, like you know this is pertaining to black people, but more so just the unspoken understanding that in order to do justice, we should be fighting against racism. In order to do justice, you must fight for women's rights and things like that. So just the definition of justice and what it meant was overlapped with a lot of social justice ideology. And I do differentiate between justice and social justice. Those two things, meaning, you know, something different or social justice versus is biblical justice, and so that is much of my story. You know, up through you know when I first came into church, I went to Biola University, which is a small Christian college out here in LA or just outside of LA. I studied sociology, where a lot of critical race theory or the the ideas of social justice were reinforced. After leaving Biola, I worked in social service and eventually in 2014, I moved to South Africa and I did mission work in South Africa. And a lot of that work centered around um, youth who had experienced trauma, teachers who were working with youth who had experienced trauma and how do they help children to be able to sit in the classroom or to settle down so that they can, or help their brain settle down so that they can, as you know, children learn mathematics or learn the history or whatever the lesson is that's being taught. And in 2018, I came back home. I came back home and actually moved in with a friend of mine while I transitioned off of the mission field. And my friend is Krista Bontrager. She's the co-founder of the center for biblical unity. And it, I gosh, in 2018, when I came home, Krista and I began having conversations just about race. And politics and things like that. And I would ask her all kinds of questions, you know, like, well, did you vote for Trump? Or um, how could you, you know, possibly think of voting for Trump? And, you know, Republicans just want to, you know, step on the necks of Democrats or the Republicans don't care for the poor. And, you know, I had all of these preconceptions just about Republicans and about whites and the rich and all of these things. And so We just started having conversations where she challenged me on some of my ways of thinking. She would ask questions back and we would just dialogue back and forth about, you know, how do we see the world? How do we see God? How do we see humans? What do we see as the world's fundamental problems? And from there, I began to understand that the word of God doesn't really support the social justice ideology that I was upholding. And so if it didn't, up, if it didn't support or uphold the social justice ideology that I was upholding, what did the Bible say about how to treat people? What did the Bible say about justice? How should I understand race and racism? And so it began, I began to go just down a journey of trying to understand what my Christian worldview was, what it meant. And Krista was right there with me helping me to, you know, understand the scriptures. She has two master's degrees from Talbot. And so um, she definitely is, you know, well-versed in theology. And so she was able to sit down and help me understand like the hermeneutics and how to dig into scripture and understand that. And simultaneously I took a, a couple of classes at Talbot to better understand hermeneutics. And I, you know, got into seminary to be able to, really dig deep in the word of God for myself. And so I'm no longer at Talbot, which is a whole nother story all by itself, but I am still in seminary and still studying so that I can continue to talk to people about what the word of God says in regards to race, justice, and unity, because it does have, it does talk about, you know, maybe not race. It would talk about more of ethnicity or nation of origin, but you know, that with justice and unity as believers, we do have a voice in that space.
1: You know, one thing I had heard you share your, your story a couple years ago and uh, Chris uh, asked you a really profound question. And I think it's a, a really profound question as all of these critical social justice, uh, uh, ideologies, whether it's critical queer theory or critical feminism or critical race theory. It really seems like everyone is really hung up on their identity. I identify as a male, female, uh, non-binary trans. I identify as a woman. I identify as black or what it's on personal identity. It's like an overemphasis on it. And I remember you saying that she challenged you, uh, that could you elaborate possibly that, because it seemed like that was a pivotal point in your friendship with her to really challenge you.
0: Yeah. So we were just sitting down to do a podcast and she looks across the table from me and she says, you know, can I ask a question? I'm like, sure. Cause I mean, what could the question be? And she says, you know, do you see yourself as a black woman first or as a Christian first? And I was like, what kind of question is this right before we're (laughs) about to you know, go live? Um, But it was it was a very tough and and like heart-piercing question because it challenged my identity. And you're right. A lot of these conversations are about who are you and answering that question. Who are you? It's like we forgot, you know, that in Genesis, God tells us who we are and, you know, how we are to participate. And so we we try or we seek to answer these questions of who are you all on our own. And for me, answering the question of who are you, I was raised to understand that I was a Black woman first before anything else. And so, you know, in the idea of being a Christian, I was a Black Christian. But having had enough time to really grapple with a lot of the, the framework that I was participating with, I really had to stop and consider, well, how do I answer this question? Am I truly in Christ and Christ alone and a a believer in Christ and a child of God? If so, if that's my highest, you know, identity is if that's what God speaks over me first, then I can't put the qualifier before that. I can't put black before Christian. I must be a Christian first. And so, yeah, I didn't answer the question right then. Right then. I think my eyes watered up and I was just like, oh, I can't believe you just asked me this question. And yet it was good that she asked me that question because it really started a like a, a snowball for me of you know how do I identify what is most important in my life is my blackness most important in my life or is the fact that I'm a child of God the most important thing in my life is the fact that I'm a woman you know the most important thing of my life in my life or is it the fact that I'm a Christian when we look at our identity and we consider you know how God has made us I think there are things that are intrinsic to who we are so we are created in the image of God we are created either male or female and things like that but but when we look at Genesis 1 it doesn't say and you are created Asian or black or white or hispanic or whatever that list isn't in there now when we get to you know Psalms where it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made i can take into account the fact that my skin color is a part of how Fearfully and wonderfully made I am. And when I look at Acts 17, I, it, it says in Acts 17 26, from one man, God created all the nations. So God wasn't, you know, creating the Asian man, the Puerto Rican man, the black man, the white man, the whatever. He wasn't creating all these different people. There was something by God's providential design mm-hmm. when He created Adam that allowed for migration. I tend to say that extinction really sucks. And so God knows that. And so in creating Adam and Eve within their DNA was the potential for us as humans to be able to migrate. If we look at where the first pair um, were found and and where, you know, like the Garden of Eden is, you know, speculated to be and, um, you know, all of that, it would be somewhere in like Northeast Africa, like they would be more of a darker skinned people. But God in his providence understood that people weren't just going to stay here. They were going to, according to his command in Genesis, they were going to fill the earth. They were going to um, reproduce They were going to multiply and fill the earth. And so if we multiply and fill the earth, we have to have within our DNA structure, the ability to survive. And so I believe that if you believe in a historic Adam and Eve, as I do that, um, you know, my, my, my identity as a child of God, or I would say first, my identity is being created in God's image as Mm -hmm. a, you know, as a woman because it's only male or female. Now I have put my my trust and my hope in Jesus. And in John 1:12, it says, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I am a child of God. These are things that supersede my skin color. Now, is my skin color irrelevant? No. Can I be targeted or the byproduct of sin Someone's sinful actions because of my skin color? Yes. Should we be aware of people's skin color? Yes. Yes, because this is something in our sinful fallen state. Where people can be targeted based on their skin color, and I, I I can give examples of Black people being targeted by their skin because of their skin color. I can give examples of Asians who have been targeted because of their skin color, of whites who have been targeted because of their skin color, of Hispanics who have been targeted because of their skin color or accent or things like that. And so, when we understand that humans are sinful, that we have gone horribly astray from God's Original design for humans. We can see that one. My skin color is is a part of God's providential design. That I am and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet, because sin still is the the product by which we live in, we live in a Genesis three world, as Krista would say. That I can also be the the target of someone else's hatred or sin because of my skin color. Yeah. So that th-
1: that is. I just love that. And I think that's most important for us to understand that we, every one of us are precious in the, in the sight of God made with the individuality and that's who we are. And out of that flows, everything it starts in Genesis. And, and so out of that, it's our duty to our maker. It's our duty to one another. Uh, and everything else like in, in, in the Bible says that in Christ, there's neither male or female or, uh, you know, white or black or Jewel or Gentile or you know our gender doesn't matter our sexual orientation doesn't matter our skin color doesn't matter but we are one in Christ and he breaks down that dividing wall and that's why Christianity is such a, a a beautiful message for the world of healing and peace and hope and deliverance and establishing us in who we are as people and so many people are just so confused their identity and they're striving looking after uh worldly philosophies and ideologies that set themselves up against the knowledge of God so that man could know can him. I offer so, some clarity? Yes, please, please. I'm sorry. Go.
0: So I what I heard you say, like um I believe it's it's either Galatians three or Colossians three, but you know, in him there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's, you know, all of these things. And so these things don't matter. And I say a hearty amen to that to us as believers when we come together. Our sexuality yes, you. doesn't, you know, under the cross, Jesus isn't looking at me and looking at you and mm. saying, well, he's better because he's a man. And she's not as good because she's a woman. But I also say that our sexuality, our skin color, our, you know, ethnicity are extremely important as well. And it's yes. not like I didn't come into Christ and then turn clear. You know what I mean? Like I still remained black and I still remained a woman. And it's important for us to understand that God distinguishes between male and female. And these roles Mm. are extremely important in the church. In the church, if we say that sexuality is not important, well, then that's the exact same thing that the culture is saying. And well, why not allow in the transgender person into your pulpit? Or why not allow the LGBTQ plus affirming person into your pulpit? Christianity is completely inclusive and yet it is completely exclusive. It's inclusive that anyone who wills may come Come, we yes. the doors are open. Come, we implore you to come. And yet, to, as Krista would say, if you want to show up to the party, you gonna have to make sure that you're partying the right way. You know, you're gonna have <laughs> to make sure that you are um, that you are abiding by and o- obeying the commands of Scripture and of God's eternal moral law. Because you must worship the correct God correctly. And so, it is an exclusive religion, and yet it is. Also inclusive, but we don't want to get to the point where we say that, you know, our sexuality isn't important, our skin color isn't important, my ethnic background isn't important, because these are beautiful things that are providentially designed by God. Um, Now, I don't believe that my sex is, I, I guess I could say my sex is providentially designed, but in the beginning, God created male or female. So there is only two sexes, and it is according to his providence that we are all created. It's so intentional. You know, we think about um, just our biology and how we go together as humans um, and how we procreate. It's just beautiful. And so this is a lot of the issue that I take mm. in people wanting to promote the, the gender queer ideology in the church is because, well, God has created something beautiful and amazing and we can't recreate that just on our own.
1: Yes, uh- I am in full agreement with you. And, and I, I also want to communicate to empathy toward people that are off a little bit in terms of a struggle, you know, and uh, just like in my own life, I'm not fully sanctified. I'm not living in different areas of my life in in the, the, the complete victorious life that God would have for me. So God is patient with me and we therefore need to be patient with one another. But yes, in the church, we need to be, be clear about what to hold up the standard of, of godliness, but not in a judgmental way, because, you know, we all have different areas of worry or doubt or guilt or addiction or, and so there's no difference between uh, one sin or another. And we therefore can't judge harshly or alien people, but, uh, but we, we must hold up the high standard of what God has for us and the freedom and the, and the incredible life that he has. I don't know what you think about that.
0: Amen and amen. Yes. The goal is never to, you know, to shun someone who is, you know, wanting to, to live according to God's eternal moral laws, to come into, to Christ and to, you know, um, to walk according to God's path path. You, you said you have struggles. I have struggles. We all have sin, you know what I mean? And so that isn't the, 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 the goal. The goal is not that we would never ever sin again in life because that's to me completely unrealistic that I would be able to live a perfectly sinless life. Um, but it is to say that it, in regards to our ideology, I'm not looking at the individual, but the big picture ideology, when we look mm-hmm. at the big picture ideology, there are things that our scriptures uphold that we must, you know, continue to uphold and abide by. And I can walk with someone and walk a road with someone who might be struggling in that area. And LGBTQ plus issues are just, you know, one of those things. Pornography is another one. Alcoholism, gluttony, lying, race issues. Like, trust me, as, as a human race, we are not struggling to be on a shortness of sin, of sins. There <laughs> are sins. And yes. so, yes, I, I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, no, I, I'm not going to sit up with uh, this overly condemning heart. And yet I do take the scriptures and I judge accordingly and making in, in, in looking at, you know, what is the ideology that we're upholding? How are we living out what the, the scriptures tell us to live out? I believe the judge rightly passages, maybe John Seth
1: Beautiful. And so you are a critical race theorist. You had your identity as a black female that was uh, put into even uh, not only in your community in your school, but also in your church and in your theology and to a certain level, Biola University, a Christian university. And uh, it seems like God through Krista really pierced your heart. And that was in 2018 to really look at things from a, a, a more nuanced and a better perspective. But then I'd like you to take us through from 2018 to 2020, because maybe by the end of 2019 or beginning of 2020, you had started together with Krista, this organization, it was like perfect divine timing in the sense, you didn't know that uh, George Floyd uh, uh, riots would be happening and the uh, and the uh, and the killing of George Floyd and all that happened and how it profoundly affected society, how it affected the church, and you were already established and your Facebook boomed and, you know, that was just like a completely div- you could have never predicted it, and uh, it was totally a sovereign thing. So can you take us from 2018 and how your friendship developed and your worldview uh, uh, into establishing together this joint venture?
0: Yeah. So I mentioned that, you know, I moved home in 2018 and, um, Kristen and I began having, you know, these deep conversations about race and unity and justice and what all this meant. How do you help the poor? How do we do, um, justice work? How do we do missions? There was a lot that we just started to talk about politics, all of it. I felt like there was no conversation left unturned and, um, Gosh, the more conversations we had, the more I was—I feel like she was challenged as well. There were things that she hadn't thought about, and there were things that I hadn't thought about, and so there were different ways in which we both kind of shifted some of our, our ideology, our, our our thought process. Now, for me, I would say it's probably more of an ideological shift. I think for Krista, there were more nuanced pieces, but her framework is being a historic Christian state secure. My framework, I was. I would probably say I was more into a progressive Christianity um, or a, gosh, maybe not progressive in the idea that like I had totally left the faith like and didn't believe that Jesus, you know, Came in bodily form, and you know, died and resurrected from the grave. But I definitely believed in things like abortion. I thought that it was a woman's right to choose, even though I didn't, you know, see that as being a choice that I personally would make. I thought that every person had the right to choose. Um, you know, there were just there were different things that I believed. And I thought we're okay. And so as we continue to, you know, have these conversations and things like that, one day I was driving down the street and the Center for Biblical Unity just kind of popped in my head. And I was like, what in the world is this? Now I had already, I think, and this is in probably November of 2019. I think in regards to race, I was pretty confident that what I was seeing in social media, what I was hearing on the news, the the whole conversation about white and black was really, you know, an issue of racism. And some of it was, you know, or a lot of it was racism of, you know, black toward white. And It was things that i was seeing from my friends or how white people were being described and all of that and so i felt like you know if if i wouldn't say that to a black person you know and if it was racist if it were said to a black person why isn't it racist if it's said to a white person so that was i think one of the questions that really got me you know on this road of hey wait a minute we're being racist like this is this is racism even inside of the church that's happening And so I was clear or getting more clear on my thoughts about race and racism, but I wasn't very clear on my thoughts about LGBTQ plus issues or my thoughts about abortion or, um, yeah, just some other things that were clouding and surrounding my mind. And so in in january in december of um 2019 we got an invitation krista and i received an invitation to speak at the women in apologetics conference and to speak on critical race theory now i don't know how they got her name well krista was um like a part of women in apologetics but i wasn't i was just sitting you know going to work every day and doing my thing um and so when Krista said, hey, we at uh, Women in Apologetics would like us to speak on critical race theory, I was like, how do these people even know that I know anything about critical race theory? Um, and so we did speak in January. Now, had and you formed the organization
1: after, at this point? You, no. It wasn't even formalized. Nope. So George Floyd was in May of 2020, uh, 2020, and you were getting this invitation in January but you were like all set up and you were speaking out strongly personally. I, I heard you on in several interviews uh, at that same time. So a lot happened in those. Those were after.
0: Yeah. Th- so all of after. that was after. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. in January we spoke and oddly enough, the conference was at Biola and people came up to us after and just explained how this was impacting their personal lives and like story after story. Now I had already had mm-hmm for at least two months the Center for Biblical Unity, this name in my head and in my heart. And one day, Krista was like, you're you're disobedient. You're being disobedient. You need to form an organization where people can come and understand and have, you know, sane conversations about race, justice, and unity. And I was like, man, like after hearing so many people's stories, and it wasn't just white people who came up to me. It was different ethnic groups who came up to me. And um, so I go home after the conference and I do the paperwork for the Center for Biblical Unity. To like reserve our name to be a nonprofit, and we became a nonprofit on February 24th. I believe it was two weeks later. There was a Mod Arbery who um, the video of a Mod Arbery was released, mm. and he was the young black guy who was shot down in Georgia. And he was shot by um, two white men, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember all the details now, but it was like covered up and there was police involvement and all of this. And then a little while later, a couple of, so months, that was in March. And then in May, you have George Floyd. And then after that, I believe you have Breonna Taylor by August. And so I had no idea. Krista didn't know when she told me that I was being disobedient. She had no idea, you know, that, the, that all of America anyway was going to, erupt with race and justice issues and that the church was going to need clear direction on how do we walk in unity. And so that since 2020 um, is what we've sought to provide, you know, a different way. This isn't racial reconciliation. We're not talking about racial reconciliation. We're talking about biblical unity. It's something fundamentally different. We Uh are talking about race. We're talking about justice and unity. Um, I just want to add
1: one thing to to that that timeline at that time, and the months uh following the George Floyd incident, there was very little from Christian leaders about any of this stuff It was and overwhelmingly uh, the education that one could learn were from university professors. This is what it is this is it. There was a, a handful of people there was uh, uh, i think um like michael O 'Fallon was one, Neil Shenby was another. then you had James Lindsay who's a, an atheist. Uh, And, but there wasn't like the big voices in Christianity that weren't even ready for it, you know? And uh, I know that there were some Christians that signed a a Dallas statement warning about it, but it was kind of watered down. Uh, But, but it was only afterwards when, when, uh, when, after it was already established as an ideology that Christians began to say, well, wait, wait, wait. So I I feel like Christian as a whole, and and I uh, was kind of slow to the, the culture war in that respect. And, but you were a voice in the wilderness, uh, that I drew a ton from, you know, and, uh, so thank you for your obedience and thank you to Krista for exhorting her sister to, to obey.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It, you know, I did a ton of interviews in 2020, more than gosh, I feel like I can even count. There were so many, um, but you're right, there weren't a lot of voices talking about biblical unity. The Christian voices that well, Vody Bulkam was another
1: one. Vody Bulcum.
0: He was, yes. And um Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, mm-hmm. yeah. um, from the Just Thinking podcast. They were another. But, you know, I, I think Elisa Childers, Alicia Alisa and I sat down. Um And talked about, you know, my journey in critical race theory and what is it and things like that. But there weren't a lot that were promoting biblical unity. A lot were promoting racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I would drive down, you know, some streets and you would have big churches with BLM signs out front. That's not the way.
1: Now, why would BLM uh, be incompatible with biblical Christianity and biblical unity?
0: Well, BLM itself is, to me, is just divisive in the name. You know, I, I think the the idea that I'm, I'm definitely behind the idea that Black Lives Matter. I definitely do believe that because I'm Black. Um, <laughs> so I, I do believe that my life matters and the lives of my siblings and my friends matter. And yet, um, when we look at their website about, you know, wanting to um, get rid of the nuclear family or do away with the nuclear family. And this has been scrubbed from their website since I believe we actually might have some screenshots of it still, but, um, you know, they, they were not for the nuclear family. They were not for, um, you know, the heterosexual family, but they were for the trans, the black trans person. Um, they wanted, you know, the village idea as opposed to a nuclear family. Um, The fact that none of the money or very I don't want to say none because that would not be necessarily fair, but a good percentage of the money from BLM went to trans movements. It didn't go into um, black communities. It didn't go into uplifting, you know, black people in poverty or even to the victims of, you know, shootings that they marched for. So yeah, I I just I can't with BLM the fact that they're Marxists and they're self-proclaimed Marxists the fact that they participate in um and and I don't want to say all three of them because I'm not sure but I do know that Patrice colors um. Talks about Black or African spiritualism, and you know, when you say the name, what does it mean to say the name? And you know, what does that mean spiritually? Call, yeah, calling up the spirits of the dead. Yeah. And so, as a believer, I can't participate in that, even if Malina, Black people Malina are, Abdullah, tart- even if, yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: Malina, Malina Abdullah had done some interviews as well, another one of the co founders about the spiritual aspect of it and libations prior to the rallies, and so this calling up the dead spirits, visiting the dead uh, they are you know, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. And so uh, when you see these movements and they're and I've actually seen videos of, of people marching in the street saying F you're Jesus, F you're Jesus. It's just like mm-hmm. hor- horrific, you know? And so, uh, I, and the whole Marxist ideology is, uh, is incompatible with, with Christianity. But I mean, I mean, I appreciate you fleshing all that out. I'm in, I'm in agreement, you know, and so I think, but so many well-intentioned Christians were like, Yeah, we want racial reconciliation, we want wholeness, we want to get to biblical unity, which you're which you're talking about, but we're they went about it wrong. And if, if you look at the studies that came out subsequent to because we thought there'd be a good earthquake of seismic shift uh in terms of race relations, but even a year after the George Floyd, the summer of protests, a year later there was research done just asking the simple question uh, to blacks and white people like have race relations gotten better, worse, or stayed the same uh, since uh, the George Floyd, uh, protests and overwhelmingly like 80% of African-Americans said that they stayed the same or got worse. And like 74% of whites said the same, they stayed the same or got worse and a very insignificant amount. And so if you look even divide that politically, there's a, a statistical indicator there that, that this is not the way to bring healing to our nation by protesting and burning down cities and, you know, the hatred and the vitriol and the, and the grifters out there raising money and then, you know, versus a better way. And so I, I really want you to uh, uh, explain to us what is biblical unity and why you so cautious about the way you say versus racial reconciliation? Why is uh, the revelation that you have a better way for healing for our nation and healing for the individual and and the church's soul?
0: Well, Kristen, I believe that biblical unity is the believers better hope that Christianity definitely offers a better hope than, than, you know, the secular framework, secular mm-hmm. ideologies and things like that. And so when we look at, I'll start with racial reconciliation. When we look at racial reconciliation, the main verse that's put forward for racial reconciliation is second Corinthians five. I have given you the ministry of reconciliation, but people insert again, a, a word into that verse that says, I've given you the ministry of racial reconciliation. No, we haven't been given the ministry of racial reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And when Paul defines what what reconciliation is, it says, reconciling sinful hearts to a holy God. That is the reconciliation that is afforded to us. That is the ministry of reconciliation. And when we look at reconciliation in the scriptures, it generally goes back to having a conversation about um, sinful hearts and a holy God coming into right relationship with God. Now, um, for the the believer and and our unity well i personally believe that and i believe that we can find this in the scripture that unity is the believer's starting point unity when i come into relationship with jesus i am also now set into the family of god and set um set at 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 one. I am set as a brother or sister. I am set as an heir with Christ Jesus. We are unified. The, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down mm. when you come into relationship with Jesus. And so there is a starting point for every believer. When they come into the, the when they come into relationship with Jesus, they come into the household of faith with other brothers and sisters. This is Ephesians 1 and 2. So if you want to look at now how do we maintain the unity, well then that's Ephesians 4. But but when we read the words of Paul, um, we don't see any indication that you now need to, you know, racial reconciliation, white people, you need to do this work so that you can come to the table so that we can air our grievances. And then once we've aired our grievances and you understand the, the, the work that needs to be done or your participation in that, then we can go forward. Biblical unity says, look, you have come into Christ. I don't care what your skin color is. This is the work that needs to be done. We're going to forgive. We're going to repent. We're going to forbear. We're going to go again. We're going to continue to walk together. You're going to work. You're going to share. Like these, are, read Ephesians 4. And so, mm. yes, discipleship is part of that. And I, I will, as a, you know, a new believer, I will also need to be catechized. I will need to learn how to walk in unity. But that does not mean that I am not in unity or in fellowship with other brothers and sisters, regardless of their skin color, just because I'm a new believer. So when we look at racial reconciliation, race, racial reconciliation looks at what do white people need to do? What do black people need to do? How long do you need to do it? Who, do, who needs to repent? And all of these things where in biblical unity, it says those things, when you go in 2 Corinthians 5, it says um, regarding no one according to their past sins or regarding no one according to their old way of life, even though we once regarded Christ in this way. So when I come into Christ, I am no longer regarded in my old way of life. And that can be hard for some people. I mean, imagine when when Jesus chose, chose Matthew, you know, it's like the fishermen were there, but Matthew probably had collected taxes from the fishermen. And it's like, oh, so now you're gonna call Matthew over? I don't know if I wanna be a part of this circle anymore. Jesus isn't playing that game. He was like, look, when you come into me, we regard no one according to their old way of life anymore. And we walk continually together. That does not mean though, that, you know, we don't correct. That doesn't mean that there, there won't be discipleship that needs to be had. But what that does mean is that I don't just walk away from someone because of their past sins. I don't just walk away from someone because of the color of their skin. Yeah. Versus does that make sense.
1: Oh, it makes perfect sense. It's so beautiful. I love what you're saying. And like uh, the modern ideology is do the work, do the work, do the work. And, but you're never complete. You're never fully atoned for. You're still uh, uh, a victim or you're oppressed or oppressor. You can get a little bit better maybe if you, you, you keep doing the work, but you're never fully accepted. You're never fully healed. You're, you, as long as you're doing the work and, and it's just, it's exhausting. And I think a lot of allies get exhausted. I think people, because it's never ending, there's no freedom versus uh, like you said, don't consider like you're quoting the Bible. Don't consider one from their past because we are new creatures. There's a brand new way of, of looking at the world. And I love your idea of reconciliation. You have a Bible study. It's called, uh, I want to get it right. It's called reconcile, reconcile the biblical, a biblical approach to, uh, to racial unity. And I, I do, uh uh, recommend for small groups to, to possibly go through that and, and to study it. And one thing about me, you don't know, I just want to share is when I was a younger man, I uh, got in a sale, I started a little printing company and the name of the company was reconciled images. And it was trying to help people design printed brochures and things like that, that I did for years. And it was pretty successful and it was, it was a fun job. It was what I did for a living. And I got that from uh second Corinthians as well, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not counting man's sins against him. And the, the, the concept of reconciliation, I wasn't necessarily thinking of reconciliation through, uh, biblical unity, but, uh, but we've been given the ministry of reconciliation to help people reconcile to God and to one another. And so I really have an affinity for, for your work and your, and your theology and your worldview, uh, And God was working in me 25 years ago when I started that little business, you know, so so I thank you.
0: That's awesome. Amen. Yes. No, I mean, even the idea of do the work, you know, you have to ask the question, well, one, what is the work that I must do? Usually it's about reading books, divesting yourself of whiteness. um, And the books that you have to read are generally sociological in nature, never, you know, completely just scriptural in nature. Um, But then, you know, who must do the work? Well, white people have to do the work because of the history of racism in our nation. But we don't see that precedent set in scripture. There's, you know, we are told not to participate with each other according to like this partial way, these part the, the ways of partiality or judge um or favoritism. Sorry, it's the word I'm looking for. Um, and the work all the work is for all the people. Now that doesn't mean that there isn't a work to be done, but all the work no. is for all the people. And the work is according to god's plan and his eternal moral law um and the commands of jesus for us it's not you know first and foremost found in sociology not when we believe that you know the word of god you know gives us all that we need for life and godliness there's an infographic (laughs) from the natural history museum of african-american art or something it's a smithsonian um museum in dc and it looks at you know what is whiteness and it goes through a lot of judeo christian things that are considered whiteness so you know christian holidays having um christianity expected to be understood by the majority of culture respect for authority um data or evidence objective thought uh gosh there's there's more but a lot of it overlaps directly with Christianity, and so it, on. One hand, we can look at whiteness and and wonder: is you know, are we soon to see this whiteness ideology being synonymous with the Christian worldview or the Christian framework? Are we soon going to not be targeted based on the ideas of whiteness, but based on the ideas of Christianity itself? But it seems like all this you is know, just but,
1: set up to divide us, and it may. Make- people on the defensive or the aggressive and build resentment and, and it's so opposite the gospel, you know?
0: It is because again, our foundation is Jesus. And, you know, in his prayer in John 17, he said, you know, may they be one as we are one when, you know, I, he goes, may they be one as we are one I in them. And, you and me. And so as we come into Christ, we come into unity, but for, you know, those outside of Christ, those who are upholding the cultural ideologies, they have to construct unity, but that's really hard. It's really hard to get everybody to agree about something, but in Christ, I don't I don't get to choose what I agree on. Like, uh, that isn't the best way to say it. Let me say it this way. In Christ, the foundation is already laid out. This is what you are agreeing to. This is who Christ is. This is who you are. These don't change. But in culture, things change all the time. So one day, whiteness may be the enemy. The next day, heteronormativity is the enemy. The next day, you know, masculinity is the, the, you know, Enemy, And so there's always something that you now need to read up upon, become an ally on. You know, there's always a work that needs to be done where in Christ I can rest because the foundation, I'm standing on a firm foundation. It's not going to just slip out Mm. from under me. I'm not going to find myself caught off guard, running to and fro to make sure that I'm staying abreast of the new, you know, the new movement. That's not it. We serve a God who is sure he is a sure foundation. And this has been sure for, you know, as Christians for the last 2000 plus years.
1: I am the the, the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus Christ is the same, you know, nothing's changed. He's not a man. And so there is a firm foundation, no matter what the storms of life throw at us and the culture wars or the wars and, you know, uh, that's the only uh, assurance that one has I think I mean we just can't be tossed around by every doctrine that might sound good and then build our life on that and then, then that's old news and we go to something else you know I think uh I, I love what you're doing and uh what 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 do you what are your biggest concerns about our culture like right now and what would be your exhortation to our audience for uh going forward and uh, and making a whole life and a and a and a biblical worldview and, and developing unity. Do uh, you have anything to say for those that are concerned or listening?
0: Yeah. I think my biggest concern about culture right now is the way in which the church is going because as goes to church, goes to family, as goes to family, mm-hmm. goes to culture. So I am not like culture is going to cult. If people yeah. are not grounded in Christ if they don't have the hope of Jesus there's there's always going to be these issues there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars there's always going to be you know factions and dissension and all of these things when we come into Christ truly we do have a better hope and truly we should be the light shining on a hill that people down in culture can look up to and say hey what are these people doing oh that's different oh look at that unity in John seventeen Jesus says um that the purpose of our unity is so that the world may know that God sent him and that he Mm -hmm. has loved us even as he loved him. There is a purpose for our unity, but we will never be united as long as we continue to accept diversity, equity, and inclusion principles, as long as we continue to go down the road of LGBTQ plus ideology, as long as we adopt critical race theory into our our pulpits and we want to push the narrative of white fragility and how to be an anti-racist. This is not the way. This is foolishness. And so if we continue in our churches to adopt these secular ideologies, these things that continue to bring division, we have to look at people in In church, unfortunately, and look at them like Paul and be like, oh, Galatians, who bewitched you? Like, why are we continually going the route of the culture? My concern is for the church, because as long as we continue to adopt the ways of the culture, we will continue to adopt the ways of the culture. We will continue to go down that path. And I know many pastors will come out and say, well, it was for good intention. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm. We cannot continue to to hang our hat on these good intentions. I can't continue to hang my hat on the idea of, oh, I never saw it coming. If you don't see it coming, you don't see the wolf. And should you be a shepherd if you can't spot a wolf? I'm just asking the question. Now, if we we are serious about the church and if we are serious to defend the faith once for all given to the saints, that's going to take boldness. It's going to take clarity. It's going to take you understanding what a wolf looks like and putting down your stake in the ground to say this wolf will not cross my threshold. It is a big responsibility to be, to, to, be given the charge and responsibility of believers. If you ain't up for it, I'd say, you need to step down. We need to look first at the house of God because this is where judgment starts first. So we need mm. to, we need to start yeah. here. I can't look at the culture right now. I'm not, I'm not concerned about the cult. culture's going to cult. I'm not concerned <laughs> about them. Not yet. Right now we need to shore up our own We need to make sure that we are not losing people to the culture because the culture seems more appealing because the culture is more honest because the culture is more direct. We need to get a clarity, a good theology on what does it mean to be a child of God? We need a theology Mm -hmm. of identity. We need a theology of race. We need a theology of unity. We need a theology of justice. We need to truly understand what does it mean to be a believer and to walk out the script. Now, when we get that down, when we can disciple our people, let's go out and do some some Matthew 28, 19. Yes. And know that we have a better hope. We truly have a better hope. Right now, too many of our churches are looking just like the world. Too many of our churches are flying the LGBTQ plus and Black Lives Matter flag. Why do I need to go into a, a church to get LGBTQ plus and Black Lives Matter ideology when I can go into the club, have a drink and dance? I don't
1: it's too many were more like make, a political rally. Yeah, make it make sense. Yeah. So many
0: people might not like that, but, you know, this is kind of no, where I'm at today.
1: I think it's really important. You know, I heard a preacher once say, why does the world not believe the church? Because the church is too much like the world, you know, and there there must be a, a separation, you know, and loving everybody. So do you feel like uh, the church is getting awakened? Do you feel like the church is... uh Probably certain pockets are, or are we overall just drifting into like what well, Jesus says, when the son of man returns, will there be, fa- will he find faith on earth? You know, and why is it a path to destruction?
0: The the idea of loving everyone, I'm going to start there and then we'll go into like, you know, is, do I see any awakening? Um, the idea of loving everyone, we have to understand that the word love has been hijacked by our culture mm-hmm. and the idea of love is completely different than what, than what, um, you know, we would then what the word would have said, love was. Because today, love means I need to accept you. I need to affirm you. I don't need to speak bad against your worldview. If I love you, I will never call you out in sin. If that is true, when Jesus said, Oh, you wicked generation. When Jesus said you brewed a viper, when Jesus said you whitewashed fences, what we would then be saying is that he was not loving. Wow. We can't, you have to, we have to be able to define our words because words have, and so you know, the idea of we need to be loving, sure, I want to be loving. I will be loving. I'm going to try my best to be loving as according to how love is defined in the scriptures. But love is law. This is something that Krista had to teach me a long time ago. Love is law. Love when Jesus, when when Jesus was asked, you know, what do I need to do? Jesus said, Love, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That was law. So we can look back into God's eternal moral law to understand how do I love someone? But I don't then take that love and transport it into 2023 America and say, well, we just don't, we we need I need to leave that alone because that's not, that's not, you know, PC out here. Nobody wants to hear about that kind of love as a believer. So as a believer, you live by the tenets of scripture. This is what it is. Now I'm not saved by the law. I'm not saved by the law at all, but. I can look back at the law and see God's eternal moral principles for how we live life. There are transcultural principles for how we live life. I don't look into and take the word love and now say, well, you know, that kind of love isn't applicable anymore because we're in 2023. So this is the kind of love that we need to do today. No, either God is love. Or he is not, but he's not. sometime love, sometimes not. So we we don't just we don't just say we need to do. We need to be more loving. We need to be righteous. Mm-hmm. All of the the shirts that you see in Target or Walmart or you know in the little trendy shops in the mall that say "be kind." Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. They have co opted our wording again. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be kind? Does that mean I can't ever tell you when you're in sin? That's not kindness. That's that is great. actually I. That would be hatred. Now, do I see any like awakening in the church and things like that? I don't know that I'm looking for awakening in the church. I'm just hoping and praying that the church goes back to her first love. That it would not be a thing where we continually seek to be awakened. I, I, I don't. I don't need to be awakened. I have the scriptures that teach me how to live. It. In accordance with God's eternal moral law, I have the scriptures that teach me how to live and and do things according to to godly way. But this idea of, you know, we need to be awakened or there was an awakening and all of that. I'm not convinced Mm -hmm. today that that's what the church needs. I am convinced that we need to live according to righteousness, that we need to live according to the words of scripture, that we need to live, you know, in accordance with how Christ commands So to say, you know, am I seeing an awakening in the church? I don't know that I'm seeing it because I don't know that I'm looking for it. My prayer is that the church would truly be the church and believe what the word of God says and live that out.
1: Have you seen churches, uh, like move away from, the social justice and social, uh, justice ideologies and more toward repentance and, uh, biblical, uh, Uh, worldviews or do you just see it being sucked into the abyss of the culture at this point?
0: No, thankfully, um, we are slowly beginning to see a a tide shift. So I think in 2020, we we saw a lot of churches, ministries, school, Christian (laughs) schools, and things like that really go the cultural route and try the DEI and establish DEI, Mm -hmm. um, DEI practices or DEI programs within their churches or schools and things like that. And we've been contacted to come out and to retrain people, to have other conversations with their teams, to you know help rewrite position statements and things like that, because people are seeing that this diversity, equity, and inclusion thing really is only leading to more division within our community, or adopting things like anti-racism and white fragility, only leads to a division within our body. And so people are now wondering, how do we get back to wholeness? How do we continue to walk in unity? How do we um, clean up the mess that you know the cultural ideologies have created?
1: I think it's beautiful. And I just love your heart. And I learned so much from you. And you're so articulate. And I really, really appreciate you coming on on the show. And uh, you got a new book coming out. Why don't you give a final word of exhortation of encouragement to those that have been captured by the ideology, how they can get set free, and you know, talk about your book and and how people can get hold of you and support of the wonderful work you're doing to uh, to build up the church, uh, the the larger church.
0: Awesome. Well, I gosh, if I would say that anyone who's caught in any of the critical social theories, I would say first um, dig into the Word of God and dig in with people who may agree with you and people who may not agree with you don't just you know get into the echo chamber of you know we all see the word the same way and so this is how we're going to do it take a class in hermeneutics understand how to rightly read the word of god not reading the word of god from the position of this is 2023 america let me read my 2023 american lens or context into the scripture but how did don't read my truth into
1: it (laughs) Don't, yeah, not don't read, read, my read your truth
0: into it. <laughs> no, how how would the person writing? The words you're reading have wanted those words to be understood. How would those words have been understood during the time that they were written by the readers they were written to? What do those words mean in the Hebrew or in the Greek? Dig into the word of God, because it's so easy to take a verse like Micah 6, 8 that tells us to do justice and then run with that. And now I'm doing all kinds of sin, reproductive justice, abortion. Um and then I would say talk to people who are, you know, who have a different worldview. So read the scriptures with people, but then also just have conversations, get outside of the echo chamber. Allow yourself to be questioned and to ask questions. And pray, more than anything, mm. pray and ask God to reveal the truth through his word about what the scriptures say in regards to justice, in regards to unity, in regards to race or racism or sexuality or identity or any of those things, because truly those answers do lie in the scriptures. There's nothing new under the sun. And so there's not a question that hasn't been answered and I um, or hasn't been asked that the scriptures can't answer. I do believe that the word of God will answer those questions. And so I think that would be part of the, um, the, just the encouragement to someone who may be questioning or on the fence. And then if you would like to get connected with us, you can go to centerforbiblicalunity.com and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can subscribe every week on Sunday. We send out kind of a recap of what we've released that week in regards to our content and materials. You can find our reconcile curriculum, which looks at the believers reconciliation and the believers Mm -hmm. unity on our website at centerforbiblicalunity.com. You can also join us on Facebook or, or on Instagram and join our family. We produce a lot of content. Our My ministry partner, Krista, is the one who it, oversees a lot of our content and our classes that we hold. So we do hold classes in hermeneutics or um, like we she just wrapped up a class on revelation. Um, God's, it's, God's person and word, which is really a a systematic theology kind of, kind of just looking at, you know, God and, and who he is and what is the word of God and, um, looking through the scriptures and, um, tracking along the scriptures for certain, um, narratives that you can pick up or pick out in the scriptures. And so she, she's a Bible teacher just by trade and by training. And so there, there's tons of ways to stay in, in contact with us. We do believe in um, us being the family of God. And so that is what we are producing content and material for is the family of God. And a lot of our conversation is just about how do we live together as family? So check us out, Facebook, Instagram, on our website, centerforbiblicalunity.com, and then go to our website and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's free. You can find out more about who we are. And with that, I think I think that's, you have that's a book,
1: it. You have a book coming out too. Oh When's yes, out?
0: duh. <laughs> um, in fed next February, if all goes well, um, we have a book coming out. We are answering ten of the most common questions we've received in our ministry in regards to race. So we're looking at how did we become so divided? Um, is racism real? What is race? What is systemic racism? What? Um, or gosh, what is it? Does every church need to be multi ethnic? we're answering the question about what, what about the multi-ethnic family? You know, in a lot of conversations about race and racism, the multi-ethnic family gets left out, Um, you know, families that may have participated in adoption. And so now they have a biracial, you know, Family or a blended family where you know m- m- uh, mom and dad may be black and their child is white or vice versa, or what do you do with the the family where you know mom is black and dad is white and now we have these biracial children? Where do they fit in in this conversation? So just trying to answer some of those questions and um, bring some more information to people who are confused about the conversation, who um, maybe don't you know have answers because we have, we've really received these questions a lot over the last two years. And so we're looking at scripture to be able to answer those questions.
1: Yeah. And for you personally, my, my sister, I thank you so much again for coming out. And I don't want you to ever get weary and well-doing because, uh, uh, you know, I'm here in front of you today and knowing, and you had no idea, but you were a drinker to me and you really helped bring clarity to me, uh, during a time of, uh, instability. And so, uh, you're having an influence much more profound than you can probably even imagine. And so uh, continue to be strong and, uh, and and continue doing the good work uh, under the labor of love uh, under the yoke of Christ, not the yoke of man. And so he's with you and, and may God bless you in your ministry. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.